Hey, everybody, I'm Lori Rudiman. Welcome to Corporate Drinker, a punk rock HR production. In each episode, Corporate Drinker explores the intricate ties between work culture and alcohol. Now, there's no judgment here. The podcast tells stories of regular people like you and me who may have complicated relationships with drinking. I'll talk to leadership gurus, therapists, addiction specialists, and even HR and marketing professionals who have hot takes on how and why alcohol and work have become so interconnected. And of course, I'll speak to brilliant people with big ideas on cultivating genuine cultures of inclusion and belonging so leaders and employees can enhance their work environment and reduce unnecessary conflict with or without alcohol. In this episode, I'm talking to sober mom advocate and author, Celeste Yvonne. Celeste is a writer and certified recovery coach with over 20 years of experience working in communications departments and corporate America. And Celeste has written a great new book, something that I highly recommend. It's called, It's Not About the Wine, The Loaded Truth Behind Mommy Wine Culture. Mommy Wine Culture is this ecosystem that tries to monetize the parents who are having a hard time parenting and need a drink to take the edge off. Celeste has lived experience being immersed in corporate culture as well as mommy wine culture. And she's here to tell you that there's another way. So if you're interested in a conversation about work and corporate culture and drinking and parenting, well, sit back and enjoy this discussion with Celeste Yvonne on this week's Corporate Drinker. Hey, Celeste, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Lori. So glad to be here. Yeah, I'm glad to have you here. Listen, before we get started, just figuring out who you are, uh, why don't you put some words to it and tell us who you are and what you're all about? Sure. I am a mother of two boys, nine and seven. I'm a wife and I am five and a half years sober from alcohol. I am a host of the Sober Mom Squad. I've been a host for them since they started three and a half years ago. And I am an alumni of the corporate world, 20 years uh, in marketing and communications. But about a year and a half ago, I decided to kind of go off on my own. I knew this book uh, was coming up and I decided to kind of take a leap of faith. And so I've been living off faith ever since. <laughs> well, I understand that world. I mean, so many of us have this dream to quit our day job and go pursue our passion, but it sometimes turns out that our passion is still a job. So what's that experience been like for you? It's been great. I'm so lucky because my partner has been supportive of me doing this and he is making the money in the relationship, which it wasn't always necessarily the case, but I feel like I've given full freedom to pursue this without the pressures of signing a paycheck to it. And will this be forever? I don't know. But for now, I feel pretty grateful. But I, I'm also raising two very strong-willed children. And that's its own job in and of itself. And that's certainly a job that I have a lot of passion for some days and other days I am just barely hanging on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I tend to hear that from a lot of working parents and especially working mothers that there's a lot of joy in motherhood, but there's also a lot of like hard times and also a word that I've heard lately is shame. And mm. I wanted to maybe explore that with you because 
again, we intellectually know parenthood and motherhood is very difficult, but how would you describe it? Do you have that experience of maybe despair on some days, maybe shame on other days? Like, what is it like for you? Yeah. And I write about this a lot because I feel like we sold this false narrative of what motherhood really is. And so when you go into motherhood, expecting all joy and satisfaction, you think you're doing it wrong because that's not how it feels. When genuinely, I feel like 90% of motherhood, in my experience, is unsatisfying. It's challenging. It's exhausting. It is feeling like nothing is moving forward. And then you have those beautiful, brief little blips where you see them growing. You see the wheels turning in their head. They do something like say, thank you, or please something that you've been working on for years. And you're like, oh, good. (laughs) Something is hanging on. But the majority of the time, that is not the case. And that is your life. When every day, you know, you feel like you are just trying to get through it, whatever it is, a tantrum, we're stuck. And and all these things, I, I would not associate shame to it, but I can see how some would, especially when it came to trying to find that work-life balance when I was in my corporate career. But there is a lot of shame when it comes to having a drinking problem with motherhood. Oh. I know that firsthand yeah. as well. Yeah. And I'm grateful I was able to nip that five and a half years ago. So that is no longer the case for me, but it doesn't mean I don't go to bed a certain nights feeling like, where is this going? What direction is this headed? Yeah. And being terrified for, you know, the uncertainties of our future. Well, that certainly makes sense. Before we talk about your road to recovery, I do, I do want to talk a little bit more about motherhood and parenthood because I am child-free. I've been married for 21 years, partnered for 26 years. And so I've got like this glorious life where nobody needs anything from me and I have money. You know, and it's just a weird, a weird state to be in because I did not plan for this life, but it's, it's actually okay. And I have dear friends who are mothers, working mothers, fathers, right? And some of the most awkward things I've ever heard, uh, some of the things that I've witnessed around horizontal violence in a peer group have come from mother to mother or parent to parent. Like parents can sometimes be the perpetrators of some of the nastiest things I've ever heard. And I wonder, what is your what is your experience with that? And what do you think about when you hear me say that? Oh, it's heartbreaking. We have, I mean, unfortunately, I've experienced it firsthand. So has my husband. The judgment and criticism between parents. I mean, is there anything more sickening, right? I mean, oh, sure. Of all the people that you would think would give grace, it would be another mother in the trenches. And yet I feel like that that can be the most vicious. And I, I say on my social media, I've seen that same thing. I think the cruelest criticisms I have received as someone who is public and vocal about my recovery journey online is from other mothers. Yeah. So not surprised, deeply saddened. Mm-hmm. Uh, why is that? I, well, I think as parents, we are our own worst critic. So to put other people down, to try to lift ourselves up at where we already feel like we're in a pretty low place, maybe it's just like a quick hit. I don't know. But at the same time, I'm the first person to be kind of screaming, stop the judgment, you know, stop the math. You don't walk in my shoes. 
as a parent to my kids, yeah. you you don't get a say in how I'm doing this. Right. And I wish everyone felt that way, frankly. Well, it certainly is good to hear you say that. I'm just so pleased that you're like a common sense voice out there because there's nothing worse than a parent saying to me, oh, that person's children are terrible. And I'm like, your children are terrible. Children are terrible. You know, children are relentless and I can see this. And I just, um, I'm always intrigued by that. Well, I do, I do want to talk about who you are more broadly because you had this career in corporate America in marketing and communications. And I feel like, you know, we bring our full selves to the bottle when we drink, right? So it's almost like a chicken and egg question to figure out what happened, right? Well, what happened? Life happened. But can you talk a little bit about who you were before you went on your recovery journey? Yeah. In my business career, I was marketing communications professional. I worked in a startup for over 10 years in the clean energy industry. And it was a very interesting dynamic. It was definitely a heavy drinking culture. And I fit right in because I was one of the boys, you know, I think I would say back in- Wait, were, in you, were you always like that in your career, in your life? Were you always trying to fit in one of the boys? Yeah. And I think that's how I fit in so well with that group. I think that's why I stuck around that long, frankly. So it was definitely a dynamic where I think if you are a non-drinker or a moderate drinker, you would probably find it off-putting, if not toxic. Mm -hmm. But for me, I loved it because grabbing a beer from the fridge at three in the afternoon was very normalized, very expected. Parties in the warehouse with a pony keg with, mm -hmm. and cigars, you know, this is just what, what we did. And I think because I fit in so well, that as part of the reason that they asked me to join them for the European trade shows and to be involved in kind of being the face mm -hmm. at these conferences and whatnot, because I could drink, drink for drink with the customers with our associates. And I mean, there was a lot of drinking, especially I feel like in Europe more so than here. I think um, so. And I, I do want to ask you about the conferences because many of us in the working world have exposure to conferences in like finance or human resources or construction, wherever we work, we go to these conferences. What's a clean energy conference like in Europe? It's kind of cool. I mean, you have these big old engines just in the middle of the trade show You've got the big guys there like Bentley and BP and, you know, all the, all the big oil and gas companies, but also the, the clean energy companies and then the convergence of the two yeah. and how are we going to work together? But, and I think this was specific to Europe, especially, you know, I went to conferences in Italy and Germany and alcohol was just flowing from yeah. Yeah, the minute these events started to the end of the day. Right. Well, at some point, I mean, you're this amazing, you know, more than a booth babe, right? I mean, you're this marketing professional, this communications expert, and you're rising up the ranks in leadership, right? You're taking on more and more complexities. You're solving bigger problems. And at some point you become a mother, right? So how does, how does that all factor in? Yeah. I mean, a lot of my priorities changed at that point. I think there was a piece of me that not died, but disappeared when I became a mother. And, and I think part of that was this interest in climbing the corporate ladder in being an executive in being a marketing, whatever it would be 
CMO. I don't know. My priority shifted. Now I was more interested in getting the flexibility at work. I was more interested in being home than being away. I think that was at that point I had switched to working part-time. So I could have some time with my child and also the challenges of trying to breastfeed while managing a job were extremely challenging. And my workplace was accommodating as best as they could be. Then you think about maternity leave, you know, as the company I was in was less than 50 employees. So they did not have to offer paid maternity leave mm-hmm. or, or even unpaid maternity leave. So according to the Small Business Association, they didn't have to abide by anything. And so I was told by the executives at that time, like the fact that you have a job to come back to after your six weeks on paid maternity leave is by the goodness of our hearts. Wow. So I came back after six weeks and I was a wreck. I was a mess. Oh, I bet that's not very postpartum much fun at all. Depression, postpartum anxiety, leaving this brand new baby in daycare. I mean, there was, it was so confusing. It was such a, a worked time of my life for so many reasons. And to feel like I now have to go back to work and pretend like I'm putting my all in felt like I was just completely faking it because I was at work, but my heart was somewhere else entirely. That makes sense. Well, it seems that you had this pivotal shift. I wonder where your journey is with alcohol at this point. Were you sober during your pregnancy? Were you sober postpartum? And also what was the expectation from your employer around socializing and entertaining? Yeah. So I did not drink during either of my pregnancies, but first baby was born. I really wanted to learn the ins and outs of drinking and breastfeeding. Like, how does that work? How do I do it safely? And that was a, a learning curve, but it was something determined to figure out. And so by the time both my children were about 10 months old, I was done breastfeeding with both of them for various reasons. But I feel like both those times my drinking really picked up. And, you know, I think it was in part just from a lot of the mental health challenges I was experiencing as a new mom, a lot of the frustration and fear that comes with being a new mom and losing your identity at work, but in life, not really sure who I was anymore. And, and then mommy wine culture, you know, this whole concept that whatever ails you, wine will fix it. (laughs) And I really clung to that, that maybe this is all I need and all the issues I'm facing isn't anything, you know, a couple glasses of wine can't fix. And so I, I feel like my normal day-to-day drinking picked up, whereas mm-hmm. my binge drinking went down with the the parties and whatnot, because yeah. I just didn't have that access to sure. going out at night anymore. Yeah. Whereas going home at the end of the day and having a glass of wine followed by two or three more was easy to do, easier yeah. than ever. So what drinking looked like completely changed in motherhood for me. So you are working, you're now the mother of two children. The way you're interacting with alcohol has changed, but not changed for the better, right? It's clearly at some point become a problem for you. How did you, how did you realize that? How did you recognize that beyond like maybe the obvious telltale signs of extra wine bottles in the kitchen, right? You know, like, how did you know this was a thing for you? Yeah. I mean, I would say I had convincing moments 
time and time again, anytime I woke up hungover and had to parent, which was every day, not that I was hungover every day, but I had to parent every day, you know, regardless of how I was feeling, you know, you couldn't just call in sick to motherhood. So those would be convincing moments, but also there were specific moments that happened in the month leading up to when I quit, one of which was a visit to the doctor's office for my three-year-old. And my three-year-old was showing behavioral challenges at school, at daycare. And we brought him in and we said, what can we do about this? And the doctor said, you know, based on what we're seeing, there's not much we can do. We're just going to have to wait and see. And of course, I'm like, I'm not leaving here. Mm-hmm. Until we have something we can do. Some, I mean, give us a takeaway. Yeah. And he looked me in the eye and probably had no idea what was sitting in my mind at this time or, you know, the things I was doing behind closed doors. But he says, children like this need consistency, structure, and routine. And I remember it feeling like he just socked me in the stomach. Wow. I was like, I am not giving my child that with the way I'm drinking. Yeah. And ultimately what the day I quit, I had a panic attack at work. I was just, I went into work. It was Monday. The, all the emails start, you know, when you open outlook and all the emails start coming in Yeah. and my heart just started racing. I got a cold sweat and I was thinking, oh my God, what is happening? What is happening? And it just scared the life out of me. So I decided to quit drinking that day. Well, there's probably a physiological reason you were also having a panic attack. I mean, alcohol can certainly do that to our bodies, but it's interesting how there's a convergence of work stress, life stress, motherhood stress, drinking a lot. And one of the things that I know you believe is that women particularly are drinking themselves to death and especially within the context of work. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think when you are given a hard hand, it's it's easy to turn to a crutch or find a way to self-medicate through it because it feels like you don't have a lot of other options. You know, I think about a lot of the reasons that I see more and more women drinking uh, when they become mothers and it's just the lack of postpartum support. You know, I think about my own experience with anxiety and depression and just how few opportunities there were to meet with the doctor to talk about my needs. You know, it was always about the baby, but here I'm going through all the things with anxiety and depression, and it didn't feel like it was as important as making sure the baby's healthy and strong. So I think about that. I think about these impossible parenting standards we have set forth for women, especially mothers. When you look on social media, the expectation to be it all and do it all and make it look easy and not ask for help it leaves a strain on us all because that's not, I don't believe that's how motherhood's intended. I don't think we're all ever meant to do it all or be it all or make it look easy because none of those in fact are true. So I think that can be heavy on people's hearts when they see the way other people parent or they think they see how other people parent based on social media and they think they're failing. Then I think about the lack of benefits and flexibility at work for mothers and fathers. You know, the fact that so few companies offer paternity leave, what kind of message are we sending to women and men when we offer maternity leave and not paternity leave? And that's, you know, assuming they offer maternity leave, which in the United States, you know, is not a federal policy. And we're one of the only countries that doesn't offer it as a federal 
policy and the unequitable distribution of labor at home is another challenge that I think is just weighing so heavily on mothers. Here we are, we were raised in a generation where our mothers told us break the glass ceilings and whatnot. And we're trying to get into the work world. We're trying to do all the things and we get home to a partnership where the man is generally expecting the woman to do all the household household chores, regardless of what her work life looks like. And, you know, I think those gendered stereotypes are changing, but they're not changing fast enough. Mm -hmm. Certainly not for the number of women who are returning to the workplace. Mm -hmm. So we do need a redistribution of labor on the home front, but all these things just add up. And when you feel like you're stuck between a rock and a hard place, it's easy to kind of fall to a crutch to get through it. Because at that point, like when you get to the, when you get to evening and you are drained and you are hurting and you feel like you are invisible all day, you kind of have nothing left in you. You don't have any energy left. You've got nothing left to give and you just want to melt into the couch and alcohol or drugs help us do that. Well, as I start to think about the next iteration of your career, you have a like ostensibly a four-year gap from getting sober and starting this new career. So what prompted you to start this new career? Yeah, so I actually, I had a job after I quit the startup where I was doing, I was a marketing director uh, for an insurance company. And I mean, that was a really interesting experience, but despite getting, you know, I was getting paid very well. I felt like I was doing what I'm good at professionally. And when you get to that place, I think in your career where you are getting recruiters calling you, it feels really good. Yeah, Um, And it's really hard to turn that down. But I think, you know, after two years there, there was a part of me that's just like, I have zero passion about what I'm spending eight, nine, 10 hours of my day doing. And that's, I'm in my forties. That's not what I want to be doing with my life right now. And in the meantime, you know, I've always had this writing that's always been a hobby. And I was like, well, what would happen if I just put all my time into that and really just leaned into that and also give myself this opportunity to be here for the chaos that is having children. I mean, I've gotten three phone calls from school in the past week. I mean, school's only been open for a week and a half and being able to have a full-time job and parent at least my two kids is impossible. (laughs) So I've decided to stop trying to fight it. You know, I think I was pushing so hard to be the exception. And finally, I'm I'm just like, I'm just going to live. Yeah. And see what happens. And that's really what this feels like now. The the writing, the getting the phone calls from school and not having my stomach do flip-flops because how on earth am I going to explain this one to my boss? It feels nice. Mm, I like that. I also like that you start with writing. So give us the name of the book. It is called It's Not About the Wine, The Loaded Truth Behind Mommy Wine Culture. Tell us a little bit about the thesis behind the book. What are you trying to get people to think about? Yeah, I think I want to teach mothers ways to cope with the unique challenges of motherhood without alcohol. And we do talk about 
the pressures of a toxic workplace drinking environment. We talk about the pressures of herd mentality or friendship. We talk about mommy wine culture. And the goal is to just create a sober movement where people feel empowered in their sobriety, certainly not feeling like they need to hide that part of their identity, sure. uh, that, that it's something to be proud and excited about and um, the gift that that comes with it. Well, and you mentioned that you've got this thriving online community. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So the Sober Mom Squad started right when the pandemic hit and basically all the recovery meetings just went down overnight. Uh, so Emily Paulson started Sober Mom Squad like within that March of 2020. And it was for anybody who identified as a mom and was living or exploring an alcohol-free life. And I've been hosting meetings with them ever since. They do three to six meetings a day. It's just been such a blessing because before COVID, recovery meetings were only in person. I had never even been to one because I was like, who's going to watch my kids? How, how am I going to navigate that? It just felt like too much work. But since meetings have gone virtual, the opportunity and the accessibility for mothers to be actively involved in recovery meetings um, has changed uh, for the better. Yeah. And Sober Mom Squad is the result of that. And finally, I know that you're focused on your own development, your own continuous learning, right? I mean, this is something that's important for anybody who wants to grow and thrive in this world. So can you tell us about what you're doing professionally to thrive out there and help others? Yeah, I just got my certification for recovery coaching. So now, you know, I feel like not only will this grow me as a writer, all my writing about my recovery has always just been specific to my recovery, but now I can speak with a professionalism too, but also just taking it to the next level in how I'm able to impact and help other women. And is that your focus with your coaching credentials to focus on women? Yes. And probably more specifically mothers, just because that's who I'm most connected with through Sober Mom Squad. Well, I am just so pleased to learn about your journey today, to hear the good stuff. You know, we often hear these stories of addiction, abuse, misuse, and they don't have a happy ending. And I don't really believe in happy endings, but you're on this path, not only to discover who you are, but how you contribute to the world and help other people. So congratulations on all that. Thank you. I feel like it It took me, you know, I probably made the journey a little bit harder than it needs to be, but it all worked out for the best. And I'm really proud and excited of where I am now. Oh, absolutely. Well, listen, if people want to get to know you, learn more about you and also find your book, what's the best place to send them to? So you can find me on social media at the Ultimate Mom Challenge. My book will be available anywhere books are sold. It comes out September 12th. That's yeah. I mean, you can find me on my website, celestivon.com, but I'm pretty present on social media. So I would start there. Amazing. Well, listen, good luck to you. Congratulations on all your success. And thanks again for being a guest on Corporate Drinker. Thank you. It's so great to be here. The Corporate Drinker podcast is a special series brought to you by Punk Rock HR. If you like what you heard, head on over to your favorite streaming platform and leave a five-star rating and a review. You can also head on over to punkrockhr.com for news, information, show notes, 
and all the good stuff related to Corporate Drinker. This episode was expertly produced and edited by my friends at Emerald City Productions with special help from Danny and Michael. That's it for today's show. Thank you for joining us. We'll catch you next time on the Corporate Drinker Podcast. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.